I'm Sandy Barker, romance author, and you'll find my books on the ABL Romance page. My stories are all romantic comedies set in beautiful locations exploring the theme of self-discovery. And I'll be joining the Romancing Australia podcast panel to discuss all things happily ever after in romance stories. Once upon a time. Welcome to Australian Book Lovers. Your destination for imagination. A huge warm and autumn welcome to everybody and a huge thank you for joining us for the Australian Book Lovers podcast episode number six. Our mission is to bring as always fabulous Australian and Indigenous literature that spans a whole range of genres to book lovers all around the globe as well as fantastic resources and information for passionate authors looking to write their very next bestseller. I am Darren Kazanko, science fiction and horror author, reader, and one of your hosts and co-founder of Australian Book Lovers, coming to you today from Corner Country. And I'm Veronica Strachan, fantasy and picture book writer, reader, and your other co-founder and host for another fabulous Australian Book Lovers podcast. And as I mentioned earlier, number six today, Veronica. So we're, we're, we're almost into double figures. We're over um, halfway. <laughs> we are. And we, we have got some fabulous feedback from uh, uh, one of our fans. I'll say one of our fans because we are getting quite a few people, um, you know, downloading and uh, enjoying and letting us know on social media that they love the uh, episodes, but I thought it would be really nice to actually just share this one, which is on uh, iTunes from Garden Wren, and this is on the 15th of March, 2021. Excellent. That sounds awesome. I'm definitely keen to hear. Okay. Finding this podcast among the multitude on offer was an absolute gift, encompassing interviews, reviews, and insights into the world of authorship, whilst showcasing the work of Australian writers the Australian Book Lovers podcasts are alerting me to intriguing stories I would have otherwise missed. Great listening. More episodes, please. Hooray! I'm very happy with that. <laughs> you have to be happy with that. It's, it's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, well, especially for someone to actually take the time to write a little bit of review. Yes. Um, so, you know, any listeners out there, if you do have a little bit of time and any feedback, of course, we're not uh, here to tell you what to write. But if, if you've got the time to do a review, fantastic. And if you are enjoying what we've done so far and are looking forward to uh, maintain your audio relationship with us as we move forward, learn more and hope, hope to, you know, develop bigger and better podcasts, that would be great too if you've got some uh, good feedback or even some pleasant things to say but that yes. was wonderful veronica thanks for pulling yeah, that up no worries excellent so today we've got a whole bunch of uh, entertainment i guess and and features and and content so we've got a fantastic interview with author thomas heffernan uh, we've got a bit of a discussion about dystopian slash science fiction slash the role of redemption in dark literature and obviously we've got a couple of cameos and maybe even a book review or two so definitely looking forward to rolling out in this episode on uh, episode number six. So how about we first of all jump straight into some very important news. (music) 
Welcome to our new segment. As far as the website goes, uh, we have got a bunch of new titles that have been added all the time to the website. And some of our latest additions to the website include some science fiction novels called The Girl Who Lived Underground, Shark Hurt, End of Night, and Ouroboros, book three in the Antipodes series by author T.S. Simons. We also have new romance listings, including novels Eight Letters, Lost in Love, and Healing Jared by best-selling author Susan Horsnell, as well as a contemporary horror called House of Dreams and a contemporary Aussie tale titled Mayday Mine. And finally, we've, we've actually had received a listing for a very unique book called Cockatoo. Now, you'll be uh, interested to know that that is an, actually a gloriously illustrated volume inspired by wild Australian cockatoos' behaviours in urban environments. So definitely have a look at that. I had a bit of a peek prior to uh, setting up this recording and definitely looks very cool. A humble little cockatoo might be uh, full of a few surprises too. Now, as far as the actual website content goes and some of the great features, we're very close to unrolling our new short story feature on the website. And that's going to allow authors to upload their short stories uh, of any genre for readers to enjoy. Not only that, the feature is going to include author links or the ability for readers out there to so that if they do stumble across a short story that absolutely captures their imagination ignites their imagination or even captures their heart and they want to discover more then obviously that they have the ability to click a link and dive straight into further literary works by the author so really excited about that and we're hoping we can actually incorporate the ability to put short reviews too but it's going to be fantastic because I think it's going to be fun to be able to jump on the website and, and scroll through the, the constantly changing and uploading short stories so that if you're on the train or wherever you might be, simple touch of the uh, button and you can quickly read a short story of your choosing and uh, a bit like Netflix only for our uh, vivacious readers out there. And, <laughs> and I, I'm really looking forward to it because I, I'm, you know, having chatted to so many authors uh, for these podcasts or, and having some spectacular interviews, all of them have really inspired me to you know, move back to, you know, sharpening my pen a little or, or hitting the keys a little bit harder and pumping out a few short stories because it's something I haven't done for quite a while and I'm really excited about doing it. So, yeah, definitely uh, I'll be part, taking a part of it and I hope every, a lot of authors out there do. But uh, not only that, our next episode following this podcast episode number six, we've got a very special well, episode one or first special edition podcast which is going to be a panel episodes and as well incorporating also contests so veronica i'm sure you can tell our readers and listeners out there more about the, this very exciting little event coming up so thanks for that segue darren a couple of things that i wanted to mention before i jump into the exciting news that we've got i just want to mention that um, one of the local news that you and i would be very excited about is that andrew roff who is a South Australian writer and one of our co-authors for Christmas Australis, has actually uh, been picked up by Wakefield Press and they've acquired the world rights to his debut short story collection. So us that's, getting short awesome. sto stories started, we've got already got one of Andrew's stories in the Christmas Australis anthology, which you'll find under Aussie Tales. Um, but yes, yeah, so short stories, you know, will be, uh, you know, it still brings you the possibility not only of getting published in anthologies and, and magazines and those kind of things, but you can also get, you know, a book. 
happening. So that's fantastic. Hopefully, uh, when Andrew gets a little bit further along, we can get him back on as a fellow South Australian. Absolutely. Uh, and that's a really good point regarding your short stories. It's, it's, it's not just for anthologies or contests. A yes. collection of short stories is a product in itself. It, it is a, uh, a beautiful display of, of your literary craft. Absolutely. So, you know, Andrew is a, uh, not a, a newbie to this. He's had stories published in uh, Mean Gin, Griffith Review, Overland, Ireland, Going Down Swinging uh, and more. He was shortlisted for the Adelaide Festival's Unpublished Manuscript Award in 2016. And in 2020, he won the Peter Carey Short Story Award. So he's certainly got some skills under his hood for sure. Excellent. Well, congratulations. Yes, which is very good. All right. A couple of other things while I'm on, you know, books and publishing and the Australian uh, industry as well. The Australian Publishers Association has launched a series of rights networking events to help Australian publishers connect with international publishers. So they've done the first event was kind of in the late January and they worked with Livres Canada books and they had 14 Australian and 12 Canadian publishers participating in 72 meetings. So all of it means that that connection, that strengthening of the Australian book publishing industry um, is going on all the time. So this is fantastic. They're going to keep doing some of those. And the other one I wanted to mention, or actually two more to mention, the Small Press Network has announced dates for the 2021 Independent Publishing Conference, and that's going to run from the 25th to the 27th of November. So it's going to take place in person at the Wheeler Centre in Melbourne, and it's going to be streamed live online as well. So independent publishers, get yourselves happening there. Small Press Network, if you don't know about it and you are a small press, Get yourselves connected there. And the final one that I wanted to mention is the Biennial Feminist Writers Festival has announced its closure due to lack of funding. So I wanted to say, please go to festivals if you can, if they're near you. Uh, we now have lots of online opportunities for people to attend. And if you do go to any festivals, please give us a, send us an email and we'd love to do a quick chat with you and maybe record a few minutes of your experiences at the festival, what you loved, what you found helpful, um, who you met, if you met somebody famous, uh, if you got any books or autographs or if you got opportunities as a writer, we'd really love to hear all about it. So there you go. Keep your eye on the events and let us know. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, situation, isn't it? Because obviously with the the information you mentioned about, you know, uh, connecting Australian authors with international publishers and also mm. the publishing conference coming in November here in, here in Melbourne, um, it, it shows that there's, there is movement forward. There is a lot happening in, in the Australian literary world and publishing world and the writing world. Mm. Um, but at the same time, you know, COVID has had an impact on a few things. And when yes. it does come to book festivals, or book, you know, or book launches, etc. If if there's the opportunity to actually be there in person, I know there's so much that can be done online now, definitely. And perhaps even just being a part of it online can be a really big uh, show of support too. Um, and that that's you know, in any 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 show of support, I guess that we we can offer is is going to really help ignite. And, and the Australian, you know, publishing and writing community. And it's obviously moving forward, full steam ahead, but this, and, and, you know, the more support we can offer, the, the bigger and better it's going to be. Yeah, And absolutely. I think we're going to yeah. come back, hopefully everybody's going to come bouncing out of 
you know this uh, this last year of uh, of ups and downs and there's no better time than to you know really basically wipe the slate clean as far as it feels like starting again for so many businesses and, mm. and so many aspects of of day-to-day life and and you know it's it's time to come out swinging and make things bigger and better than ever Yes, and read more Aussie books. We can just say that, can't we? Absolutely. Read more Aussie books. (laughs) Definitely. And if you would like to read more Aussie books and you are a romance reader, then we have a really exciting prize for you. So as listeners will know, Darren and I are not romance writers, although we've got our, uh, you know, Beneath the Burning Heart has quite a, a strong romance thread through it, even though it's, you know, more focused on the action and adventure. But what we thought was that why not access some of the experts that we have in Australian book lovers? So we approached a couple of our international bestsellers. We've got Sandy Barker. Sandy is the author of the holiday romance or travel romance series, One Summer in Santorini, A Sunset in Sydney and That Night in Paris. She's also got The Christmas Swap and I think she's currently working on books five and six. Um, And she's with one of the Harper Collins imprints and we have Susan Horsnell. Susan's a Queensland author who writes a romance and has many books. We've got nine of them on our um, directory under the, the romance tab, but she also writes Westerns. She writes, uh, she, I think she's got a, a YA thing uh, happening as well. So we'll have to find out more about Susan when she jumps on. And to add to that, we have someone who is keen to be a little bit more involved in the romance sector and as an established writer of her own. This is Claire Roden. So Claire writes historical fiction um, and also dystopian science fiction. So she's with Odyssey Books, who are a a small press in Australia. Together, we are going to ask them a series of questions about all about the romance industry, romance writing, characters, inspiration, Uh, publishing, marketing, uh, all about their readers and all sorts of bits and pieces that you and I could think of that we really wanted to know about romance. So we're recording a special episode and as part of that, Sandy and Sue were being very generous and have offered to give away some of their books. So first prize is three signed paperbacks from Sandy Barker, One Summer in Santorini, A Sunset in Sydney and That Night in Paris. And we have nine of Susan's romances in e-version and nine people will get one of her romances, which is fantastic. So 10 prizes all up. And all you have to do is head over to Australian Book Lovers and you'll find on the front page a spinning koala that Darren has very cleverly put there. And but is it love the... all about a spinning koala? <laughs> Actually, spinning koalas. Because spinning koalas, yes, <laughs> you, you, you need that other person. So press enter, tell us what romance means to you, and you might be in the running for winning one of those 10 prizes. Please enter before midnight on the Midnight Australian Eastern Standard Time um, on the 8th of April, and we will draw the books as we're recording on the 9th. And you will know very soon because we, we're going to do this as a, a very quick spin around and drop this special episode uh, into the series, which is fantastic. Absolutely. So it will definitely be, you know, I'm really excited because it's going to be the first of our, what will become a regular special feature, so to speak, which will be a panel. So panel episode podcast, special features. Yes, so we're so looking we're forward to yeah meeting with getting panels together for a lot of different genres and yes, discussion Yes, not points. just fantasy and, and horror. No, no, but, that, you know, I'll be <laughs> but I can't for that, wait mate. for that one. <laughs> yeah. 
but look, if you if you're a romance fan out there, then uh, you know it's going to be a fantastic podcast. You know, uh, and not a, obviously the opportunity to read some romance books, but also the opportunity to just learn a lot about you know the art of writing romance, and you know what does what does each of the uh, members of the panel feel that romance means to them? How do how do they uh, you know approach romance? Come up with you know vivid characters plots and you know how do they keep romance fresh in in a market that is huge and, and has a massive following it's a very very you know prolific uh, genre yeah, it is, it is the biggest selling genre all around the world yes yeah. so definitely looking forward to that and not only that if you are a romance lover and, and jump into the competition you know what better way to uh, spend you know if at the moment obviously we can't travel overseas so why not grab a fantastic book uh, all about romance overseas by one of our great australian romance uh, authors here so a chance to escape in your imagination and maybe sow the seeds of future travel plans once we can get back on board and jet set across the globe. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, a beautiful quote. I've been doing some research on romance. Uh-huh. And a beautiful quote by, this doesn't count as one of my quotes, by the way. This is just for the, I don't <laughs> know. the panel. No. <laughs> so romance author Leah Riley once said, I write romance because two things can save the world, love and books. So why not be efficient? Um, so, yeah, I thought that was uh, very That's good. a pretty that good was, quote. Absolutely. Yeah, that was uh, an article by Tanya Nellestein in the Sydney Morning Herald, February uh, 2020. So, yeah. And, you know, it's funny, Veronica, because mm. neither of us would consider ourselves as romance writers. But, by, you know, Beneath the Burning Sky, is, uh, it's definitely got a romance element to it. So, you know, and... Yeah. and whether that romance element becomes more prominent or not, obviously is going to unravel in books two and three, but regardless of which way it goes, it will be really, I'm looking forward to getting a little bit of the inside scoops of the process of writing romance. And so if we've got any writers out there that are in, in the throes of already working on romance stories and or, or may even have a few books under the belt or someone who wants to begin the process of writing romance and, and be a part of that, you know, that genre and that marketplace, yeah, definitely stay tuned for that that very special uh, panel podcast because I'm sure it's yeah. going to be a wealth of information. And that's exactly where Claire Roden is. So, you know, I saw a comment uh, from Claire in one of the groups, uh, writing groups on um, Facebook, and uh, she mentioned that she was doing uh, a writing romance course. And so I thought, wow perfect because Claire uh, also reviews a, a lot of books and so she knows a lot about um, writing as well. So I thought, yeah, perfect. Let's see what her take is and what are they teaching about romance fiction now? Because of course it's changed, um, you know, so much over the years. Um, yeah. There's some really interesting quotes that I'm going to share with the romance panel. So let's bring it on. Excellent. Well, thank you for all that news. And uh, we hope you'll enjoy that podcast when, when we get to it, which will be, so we're recording that on April the 9th, and we hope to have it out by April the 10th. So do stay tuned. Yes, Darren will have no life between this and then, but that's okay. No, no <laughs> sleep till romance. That's right. <laughs> Hello, I'm Claire Roden and you'll find my book The Stars in the Night on the Australian Book Lovers Historical Fiction page. My story is all about Harry Fletcher, his love for Eleanor and how he manages to go on after losing his brother on the battlefield. And I'll be joining the Romancing Australia podcast panel to discuss all things happily ever after in romance stories. See you then.
So, Darren, I'm looking forward to your interview with Thomas Heffernan. I believe that he's got two books. What are his books? We've got The Interior People and... Interior People uh, and Fable. Fable, yes. Fable, yep. And although not dystopian, um, you mentioned that they had, you know, some darkness and some interesting, difficult concepts to consider. But you and I got talking about dystopia and redemption and hope punk and a whole lot of things so uh that's the next topic of conversation absolutely and you know by uh no stretch of the imagination dystopian fiction science fiction or even apocalyptic post-apocalyptic fiction is you know a very uh favorite of mine and and i'm still in the throes of finishing almost finished the sequel to the, the hallucinogenia project so the mm-hmm. sequel is called godless and obviously that is very much a dystopian uh, science fiction but also i'd say more dystopian thriller but yeah I, you know after my discussion with thomas who was a fantastic interview uh, who who raised so many quite quite frankly profound insights into his writing, which I mm-hmm. um, was really uh, pleasantly surprised to be able to discuss and, and hear about. But yeah, you're right. The, the dystopian elements uh, I thought would be a fun little quick chat because for a lot of people, I, well, I can't speak for everybody, but f- in general, dystopian is, is quite dark and it, there's nothing pretty about a dystopian landscape. You know, if you look up a, some basic definitions, I've got here that dystopian is relating to or denoting an imagined state or society where there is great suffering or injustice and dystopias are often characterized by dehumanization tyrannical governments environmental disaster or other characteristics associated with a cataclysmic decline in society that's a bit of a mouthful for me on a so this hour of the morning yes um (laughs) but I, i guess maybe Uh, those readers out there that haven't dipped their toes in dystopian fiction of any sort of subgenre, whether it be science fiction, thriller, post-apocalyptic. I I just wonder how many might um, be aware that, you know, for a lot of dystopian stories and my, 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 my own included so often it is i believe it's you know it serves two purposes one it lets our imaginations explore you know these dystopian stories and and allow some sort of preparation i guess within ourselves for anything that might be unexpected uh, to, to come in life and also i believe it helps to strengthen our ability to deal with situations you know that sometimes might unravel beyond our control um, but not only that i think for myself dystopian settings they're fertile grounds for for a number of themes and ironically there's actually a balance there that i think many people that don't you know dip their toes as i mentioned would realize are there so yes i I believe that they can you know raise the issues of existentialism and nihilism and and that sense of hopelessness or the end is you know inevitable and and comes regardless of you know one's intentions or or beliefs but i also believe it can sow the seeds of hope and redemption and especially usually you know as a species in the search for our place on this planet and in the universe so for you know i can't speak for everybody who writes dystopian fiction and all their subgenres but i personally have i like to think that you know by going into these really sometimes difficult landscapes and difficult themes and emotions is really the searching for that those diamond those kernels those those baseline abilities to reach beyond what is or could be nihilistic or or completely without purpose to strive for purpose strive for redemption as a as a whole and and look for a reason to keep moving forward that's something i love about it but i'd I'd love to hear your thoughts veronica 
Mm. It's interesting. The I'm reading the shining war by Melissa Ferguson at the moment. One of the, our, um, Absolutely. Yeah, one, yep. one you yep. can so find in our science fiction. Yeah. And this is a, a dystopian. It is, you know, a struggle for survival in the slums beyond the walls of a futuristic city. I just checked the, what the, the tagline was. And it's, it is absolutely a challenge to your ethical mores. It's a, you know, looking at the dark side of humanity and all those kind of things. I'm, I'm about two thirds of the way through. So I'm hoping it comes back with, with something more positive because it's interesting segue it was claire roden i think who first tagged me uh, with the word hope punk and i looked up hope punk and it was originally uh well, i like it alexandra roland is the the woman who originally coined the term she uh, she wanted something that to combat the kind of grim dark stuff which is the you know really horrible deep, um, dastardly, violent, all those things that you've, you know, just been talking about, but with an even more so. And so she coined the term uh, the opposite. She said the opposite to grimdark is hope punk. So it just, she said it started out as kind of a joke. It kind of popped into her head. She put it online and she's, that's all she said was the opposite of grimdark is hope punk, pass it on. And for me, the kind of groundswell that came from that it was very much what i love about being an optimist i can't help myself that that i'm always a glass half full kind of person but people started responding to her tumblr post and saying well you know i think i know what this is but tell us a bit more about it you know and so as opposed to grimdark where everybody assumes that when it comes to human nature the glass is half empty in hope punk everyone has a core of you know goodness and they have you know their moral qualms stop them from you know killing even the villains those kind of things so there's a capacity to do good and to take care of each other and to make the world a better place and it kind of weaponizes optimism so it's interesting that i guess we also talked about the romance and you know that always needs to end with a happily ever after or a happy for now for me a story that doesn't have at least some hope it doesn't have to be a happily ever after but there has to be a sense of hope at the end of it i think that is really important for me i do love as you know listeners will know that sense of the social side of stories i love the relationships i love to see people coming through the arcs and i know if we just wrote about happy things that yeah they probably wouldn't sell very much because people, no. like people like to, you know, see their own struggle in yeah. stories, I think, um, which is, you know, very much a, a part of why people write. And there's a, a quote, say it to you now. Oh, sliding one in early. It's sliding one in early. <laughs> okay. So this is from Mary Flannery O'Connor. And she wrote, I write because I don't know what I think until I read what I say. Yeah, I can, that, that is a really good quote. And in fact, that's an epic quote because, yeah. you know, there is sometimes there is a little bit of a shock or yeah, a little bit of mystery when you go back to some of your writing and realize, you know, some of the, something that that's come out through your words that may or may not been, well, it's always intentional on some level. It just may not have been intentional on that, you know, super, uh, in the moment conscious level but it's obviously something that you know may come through on subconscious level but yeah that's a really good quote mm. and so, it's a way of working out things isn't it writing so 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting having come to creative writing from professional writing and project work and government work and work in hospitals and those kind of things where the facts either present themselves or you have to put the facts together or you, you know, writing clinical work or writing up findings. It, there's not so much creativity. There's not so much a sense of how I feel about things. Whereas writing my first book was all about how I felt about things. So in the catharsis of writing my memoir, I worked out what I was thinking because some of those deep emotional states are hard to manage. For me, I find they're hard to manage. I tend to process internally rather than externally. And I find that those, I could examine them by pouring them on paper. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that is one of the reasons why I do enjoy dystopian tales or, or at least exploring those things in, in my imagination as well. Because as, as um, you'll come to hear with um, the interview with Thomas, he does, we do go into some, not, not dark, but uh, I'd say heavy themes, but one core theme of, I think, both of his you know novels and what he talks about is redemption. And so I think you know, for, you know, like you said, we, we want hope, we want a happy ending. And I think dystopian fiction, all those real dark themes sometimes, they can be, I guess, you know, this is, for example, this is what happens when bad things are allowed to take precedence. For example, a breakdown of society or tyrannical governments. You know, this is what happens when evil is allowed to thrive. So we can explore that and then, try and identify, you know, what went wrong. Where, how did the evil get to that point? Or how did, you know, things get out of control? And, and as, a, you know, I guess dystopian is usually a wide lens. So it's usually as a, mm. a race or a city or, you know, a fight for survival for a people, mm-hmm. whether it be a mm-hmm. small band of people. or But it's how do they combat what has gone so very wrong? And so it's a an expression of being forced in one sense to explore what would happen if you do, just let governments go out of control. What would happen if we do lose our, you know, our humanity and we do just choose to war for a ridiculous reason? Those sorts of things. So we get an, we, we get a way of exploring those things as unpleasant as they may be, but it also gives us that, you know, uh, ability to through through these characters to find reasons to, you know, to triumph over the over those mistakes that have been made or triumph over the, the neglect of of uh, questioning humanity or triumph over mm. evil. And I think, you know, with Thomas's work, I suspect it's a little bit more personal. And so it, it does represent, if we went from a wide lens to, you know, small lens, so to speak, then it, it is, it does, you know, dystopian does cover to a certain degree themes that sometimes we all have to you know, approach from our own perspective on our own personal lives. You know, what happens if we do let ourselves follow wrong paths, you know, we can cause a, you know, rather than a utopian state of mind, we may, you know, create a dystopian state of mind and that will have an impact and may perhaps inadvertently create a um, dystopian element to our lifestyles. And Mm. so Mm. I think it's a, it's a unique and, and, very imaginative, obviously, and dark, but I think it's a unique opportunity in, in all subgenres to explore those themes. Uh, hope punk, yeah. I love that word, by the yes. way, yeah. um, <laughs> because by its nature, a punk is going to buck the system. Well, if the yes. system is 
you know, by by default evil or inherently bad, mm. um, then of course being a being a punk uh, to, to to overthrow and and bring hope that's that's amazing. That's definitely what I want to be. Should we ever find ourselves in, in a dystopian situation. situation, I wouldn't yes. say we live in dystopia yet. No, although you know, let's you know, pandemic aside. It, it, it's interesting to me also that the opposite of dystopia is, you know, according to dictionaries, et cetera, is, you know, utopia where, mm-hmm. you know, everything is, is fabulous. But I guess the problem with that a little bit is that utopia always seems to be, you know, based on the exploitation of, you know, people beneath us or marginalised groups or, you know, people have less economic privilege, those kind of things. So there is also, uh, there's always going to be, you know, in book terms, I guess, evil in the world or, you know, darkness, those kind of things. There's another subgenre called Noble Bright. And that's, okay. that, that's um, uh, so Lord of the Rings. So that's Frodo and Sam who, you know, they, they vanquish the Dark Lord by destroying their ring and the whole world is, comes good again. But, you know, and, and this is where I think my pragmatism comes back a little bit is that there is no such thing as winning forever. <laughs> you can't vanquish the evil. You can only, um, uh, uh, you know, reading one of the articles that Alexandra Rowland was uh, writing in is that you can only beat it back for a few days. But what she says is that the work is never finished. The work will never be finished. It's the fighting and the deciding to take action, no matter the odds, as you, you know, kind of mentioned being able to, you know, change your life. That's what is hope punk. And it feels more realistic to me. And I think I see that and I read it in a lot of more recent literature of all genres that no matter how dark the night, you know, come the dawn, there is a dawn, even if the next day is as bad, but the sun rises and sets and away we go and do it all again. So yeah. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that uh, circles back to, you know, the idea or at least, you know, the possible idea that, you know, th- these sorts of styles of writing or style of fiction can look for either redemption or meaning in mm. things like uh, nihilism or, you know, severe existentialism, because you- you're right, you know, um, we may have to plow forward knowing that the battle begins again at dawn uh, or begins at midnight, depending on whether you're fighting demons or humans. Um, That's right. And redemption, of course, is the act of correcting a past wrong. So if you stuffed it up the first time, jump mm -hmm. onto the redemption bandwagon, get yourself out there and give it another shot. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, without further ado, I think that's a perfect opportunity to introduce our uh, very special guest, Thomas Heffernan. And I think we are all going to be very happy, well, happy, but uh, very interested in what he has to say. Yeah, very thoughtful. It was a fantastic interview and I'm uh, very honoured to present it to you all, all, to all our listeners now. Here we go. Hello, Thomas Heffernan. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Australian Book Lovers Podcast. How are you? Hi, Darren. Uh, yeah, I'm very well. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. No, no it's absolutely our pleasure. And uh, thank you so much for your book submission. So we've got two of your books on our website at the moment, and that those titles are Fable and The Interior People. So I'm going to jump straight in because uh, being a little bit of a horror and mystery fan myself, uh, very intrigued with both the titles and both of the descriptions. So for our listeners out there, I'm just going to read a quick little 
introduction for Fable and the interior people, and then I've got a couple of questions. So Fable, you've described as a terrifying, visceral journey into the dark reaches of the soul, and as a story of love, sacrifice, and the brutal beauty of mortality. Now, the interior people has an interesting premise, which is Magnus, a hired killer desperate to atone for the things he has done, is visited by the ghost of his first hit, a mystery man named Bird. I'm assuming I pronounced Bird correct? That's correct, yeah. Oh, excellent. That was going to be a risk. <laughs> now, from what I can read there, there's definitely some dark and haunting themes that, that, that are part of that book description. So I guess my first question is, can you possibly trace back to where you might have begun to pursue those deeper and perhaps darker themes when it comes to writing or even just your approach to thinking about life in general? Yeah, well, um, I guess with the interior people, that was inspired uh, in part by the loss of two people I was very close to. Mm-hmm. Um, now, while so while it is all sort of, you know, it is wrapped up in that fantasy, supernatural thriller slash modern mythology kind of package, uh, that is a story at its core about loss. It's about the, the experience of loss, the acceptance of loss. So each of the main characters in that book, um, even the villain, uh, of the piece has experienced a loss and they're all dealing with it in their own way. As they, as they sort of begin the book, um, they're often, you know, they're, they're dealing with that in extremely unhealthy ways for the most part. And uh, as the story progresses, the way they deal with that is, is changing and adapting. And I think that reflects the way that we here in the real world deal with our own, with our own loss. Th- that said, I mean, it's not, you know, I don't, don't want people to think it's, it's an autobiographical autobiographical story by any sense it's not it's a it's a work of fiction but uh what i what i do love about writing fiction and and especially about exploring some of those darker themes is that you can embed your own experiences some sometimes even very painful experiences into what is essentially a work of pure fantasy Um, i think it, it takes a certain kind of talent to be able to do that without making it just an autobiographical or a memoir or or that kind of thing, which is perfect, a perfectly valid way to sort of pursue that. But the way I sort of want to pursue that is in, is in a more subtle way and in a way that, that, that gets people thinking and, and, and in a way, um, you know, we've all experienced loss out there and, and, and in a way, if someone can read my stories about it, it might in, in a certain way maybe influence how they deal with it themselves or help them or, or that kind of thing. And that, that's what I really love about fiction um, because, you know, it, it, can, it can stay with you in a way that is, is very deep and very personal and, um, and help you through those experiences. And that's what I found as a reader. Reading certain books I would find would, would stay with me and, and, uh, and, and help me through the, those darker times. And both, of, both Fable and The Interior People are essentially based on very painful experiences that I had in, in, in my past. But at the same time, I wanted to, they're not, they're not dark. You know, you're not going to come away from these books feeling depressed, <laughs> which is also something that I wanted to avoid. Um, okay, well, that, that's because, a good tip for the readers out there. Well, because they are, you know, they, they, they are quite dark themes and, and, and you might get the impression that, that they would be a depressing read. But at the same time, I, I come from a point, a, you know, a perspective of, of hope that ultimately, you know, 
uh, the, the cliche of the light at the end of the tunnel that, you know, mm -hmm. the, everything happens for a reason. These things are put upon us for a reason, these challenges in our lives. And, and it's, you know, we, we do often deal with things in an un unhealthy way. Um, I agree. But, but ultimately we come out of things um, better people, I hope. And, and that's really at the core of both stories is um, that as dark as things do get in my stories and in life, you do you do emerge at the end um a more powerful person a more a more hopeful person so there is uh, they do go to dark places but there is a lot of light in my stories as well so there is there is that balance and and that's a you know a beautifully honest answer and i guess maybe i didn't do it quite justice by sort of emphasizing a darker theme but i i guess when i think of dark themes i think similar along the lines of what you've just been talking about then in the sense of that they are essentially a an, an aspect of the human condition and it they can either bring us to a point of being a better person for having experienced those dark times or i guess there's the potential to destroy us as well and it does sound to me as though that that's, that's somewhat of a theme in those books in the sense of like you like you said going through some loss and, and the characters and each of them dealing in their own way. And, and you did say that it was due to, or at least inspired to, a, to for want of a better word, mm. due to your own loss. So I guess one of the questions I have for you following that is writing these books, do you find you learn new things by expressing, even if it's in the, in the background, your feelings of loss or, or feelings of those, you know, exploring those challenges that it is to be human? Or did you have a, a particular intent for the characters as far as what you had already learned that you wanted to portray or at least have there in the background that may be reachable by readers? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, um, it, it's a learning experience in, in anything you write. And that was true of, of, of both of these books. I, I set out with a, uh, I mean, with, with the interior people, um, I wrote the first chapter of that in a flurry late one night and, and didn't really know where it was going from there or, or, or really didn't really have any structure in mind. And it kind of shaped itself from that. And I think that, uh, I think it's, it's probably important for me anyway, as a writer to, to not go in with, with a set to be too sort of structured in, in, in what I want to achieve and, and to be mm -hmm. open to, to the, the characters that I've uh, created, I say created, but I feel in, in a lot of ways they create themselves um, to, I feel like I'm going to be steering them to, uh, you know, they, they're going to rebel against that to a certain extent if I try and, and force them down a certain path. Uh, I mean, a, a, a great example um, was when I was writing Fable and I was really stuck towards the end and I, I didn't know if I was going to even finish the book. Um, cause I'd gotten to a point, I'd felt like I'd written myself into a bit of a corner. I wasn't sure whether it was really what I wanted to say. And I was sort of, I was erring on the side of maybe I will abandon this, you know, it, it might not be, might not be the best time for me to, to sort of finish this. And, and I had, um, an experience where, um, very late at night, very tired, very, very, very half awake, couldn't sleep, trying to, um, to toss over in my head what I was going to do with the ending and, one of the main characters in that book almost came to me in a vision. I don't want to be too sort of <laughs> out, no, out no, there no. and say, but she almost came to me as I was falling asleep and, and just said, 
you know, don't worry about this. I've, I've, I've got this. Don't, oh, don't wow. worry about this. I've, I've got your back. Don't, don't worry about it. And, and I sort of went to sleep and I woke up the next morning and then over the next few weeks, I, I bashed out the last few chapters of that book and, and she really came through and, and really steered the ending herself. That so um, pretty epic. <laughs> so that was that's that's just why I think from from that that point on I was just like you know I'm I'm going to let my characters be themselves. I'm going to let them drive the story as much as they need to, and uh, I'm I'm going to um, be open to to anything they have in mind. <laughs> I, I'm still in control at the end of the day. <laughs> but, well, uh... <laughs> you're, you're you're at least responsible for any spelling errors. <laughs> that's that's right. That's right, but yeah, no. So, I, so I think it's important just to just to be open to a story taking you where it where where it wants to take you, rather than you taking it where you want it to go. I, I couldn't agree more, and and I definitely subscribe to your way of thinking in the sense that the characters. I mean, it, it is somewhat of a cliche, but characters really do come alive, and it's to the point where I feel like rather than creating the characters, I'm meeting them, mm. and then exactly they they often not so much dictate the story, but guide the, the whole process in the sense of whatever ideas I might have when I'm writing, they, they're often derailed by the characters themselves. And, you know, as, as, as their, their essence becomes stronger and, and their, their will, I guess, for want of a better word, their will starts mm -hmm. taking over and they, they start to drive the train and, and lead the way through the, the plot. So, but I'm curious about uh, in one of your descriptions for Fable, Try not to stay too dark, but but I don't think it's a dark statement. But the brutal beauty of mortality—it's mm -hmm. a, a very profound statement. I was just wondering if I could trouble you for your thoughts as to what what was your interpretation of that those four words. Yeah, well, that um, that I guess uh, comes from a really strong theme in all my work, I guess, which is the the duality of nature. Mm -hmm. It's something I've always been. Uh, um, fascinated by, and I'll, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll start with it with a quick anecdote of, of where this all sort of came from. And it was when I when I was very young, um, I was holidaying with my family at um, at the beach, and there was a big storm that night. And I was I was very young; I would have been maybe five or six at this, this okay. point. And and um, and I and I was fascinated by it. And I stood and I pressed my the, the house had big picture windows, and I pressed my nose up against the glass, and I was just just watching this lightning and thunder and all of a sudden the storm really came in and and there was a flash of lightning and a bang of thunder and it was powerful enough to actually knock me away from the the window you know wow. just sort of sort of shook the windows and and absolutely terrified me no doubt and it was at that point that i guess more because i was so young more on a, on a subconscious level i kind of it embedded in me the idea that nature while it while it is very beautiful can also be brutal Mm -hmm. and and it can be very and it needs to be respected it's dangerous storms are beautiful they're wonderful to look at fascinating to, to study but they also you need to be very careful because they they can kill you you know they can be they can be brutal and that's cool. where and we live and in I, houses for a reason definitely <laughs> that's right that's right and and that's where i guess the the idea of the the brutal beauty of mortality which is in in fable is that um you know, de death is a is a brutal thing. It can take us very suddenly. Um, it can take us very painfully. It can be long and drawn out. Um, 
but it's also beautiful because we're, we're mortals and, and we, the things we accomplish in our lives and the people we influence in our lives, we've only got a finite amount of time to do that. So, th so that's where the brutal beauty of mortality comes into, comes into play and, and, and where that statement, what that statement sort of means. It's, it's that, you know, our mortality is, is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing, um, but it's also brutal, brutal because it can be taken away from us. And so that's where I think that, uh, that sort of comes from. Yeah, and, and when I look at those, that phrase, I guess, the brutal beauty of mentality, I think it also is it's somewhat empowering too because it reminds us that, that we are mortal and time is short and unpredictable. Uh, we, we can't even assume tomorrow is going to be here for us. And it, that, in a way that not, not necessarily forces us, but it does remind us to look at the beauty of everything around us and, you know, absorb these moments and just, you know, enjoy being part of the universe. Uh, so I, th I don't think, you know, brutal beauty is, I think is very kind and powerful in what it can teach us and, and what it does ask us to do. And that is to, to reflect on the, just the amazement that is reality around us. Well, thank, thank you for that. That's really, that's a really nice thing to say. Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, that's sort of exactly what I was, what I was getting at. And, and in fable, it's, um, it's explored in the, in the, by the notion of sacrifice as well, which is also another theme in my books. And, and it's basically that uh, I, w I wanted to, you know, I've always been fascinated by the, the thought of sacrifice um, in terms of, you know, the way a firefighter or a paramedic or a police officer will put their life at risk to save mm -hmm. a total stranger, that sort of thing. Um, so I thought that, that it would be interesting to explore that um, using immortal beings because there are characters in fable who are, are immortal. And along the way in the story of Fable, a mortal character attempts to kind of teach an immortal character what it is to be mortal, what it is to face the prospect of, of not being around tomorrow because the immortal characters in the, in the, in the story, they don't really understand that. No, they don't really have, that, that's not really a, something that, that they, they fully comprehend. Um, so in a way it's, you know, to have these, the, the immortal characters in that story choose to put themselves in harm's way, um, to save the mortal characters with a lot of them in turn paying the ultimate price for that. Uh, when, if you think about it, an Im Im immortal character wouldn't have to do that. They could just sit back and, and let things play out and, and not, not really have it affect them. So I wanted to, um, also explore that theme of sacrifice, you know, and, and have people think about what uh, what would you do? What would you sacrifice to save a loved one, or to sacrifice the human race itself, or uh, to save the human race itself? I should say. Um, it sounds like it would have been a very interesting and fun exercise uh, trying to work out how an immortal would, you know, experience mortality. And I guess it would be just equally as hard as, say, for someone like us being mortal trying to imagine mm. immortality, which is we well, you can That's try. Right kind of grasp it but i don't think we can because yeah. time is a very strange thing i've always thought it funny because I, I sometimes i sit down and think do i want to live forever probably not but i don't want to die now and then i realize that you know in this existence at least in our human form we have sleep which is the beautiful balance between the two so every night i switch off and in, in essence, you, you go to this eternity and then you come back and it's, it's a new day. So whoever invented sleep was on the money. 
doesn't 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 answer the immortality <laughs> question, but it definitely makes. Well, it, I do yeah. have one character in in uh, in the the interior people who muses on on what it might be like to be immortal and says, "Well, if I was immortal and I had all the time in the world, why why bother accomplishing anything? You know, if I've got all the time in the world to do it, why why get off my ass and do anything?" So. Yeah, and that's a good point. <laughs> now, so you mentioned obviously that th these are themes that may have even carried through from when you're from when you were five, when you saw that storm or experienced that storm. But and but you also mentioned that if, at least with these two stories, they were somewhat inspired by events that you've gone through on a personal level. But I guess it's a two-part question. When did you actually start writing? And when you did start writing, was it in this vein, I guess, or in this genre or in, in this style? Or was it something that's changed over the years? It's definitely something that's changed over, over the years. Um, I guess I was always, I've always known that I was a storyteller in some form um, because I had all these stories in my head. So I guess it was you know, ultimately it was first deciding that uh, being a writer was something that I was. And that, that happened early on, thankfully, um, just just given that I found that while I was at school, I was more interested in writing than I was in when I was supposed to be paying attention in when doing other things like going to class or even hanging out with friends at some point. And so, sometimes, you know, I would sometimes tuck myself away in the library and just, just be writing. So when I first started writing, I, I of course read a lot um, as as you need to do being being a writer and so I, I i started i guess emulating authors that i liked and books that i liked and yeah. and that was i started out writing you know i was really into to fantasy novels at one point you know the raymond feast and, and catherine catherine carr and and other writers like that and so you you know you find you you emulate their style a bit and so i mean i guess the first the first thing i would call a novel that i wrote would have been when i was maybe 14 15 and it was oh, just wow. a, it was essentially you know it was, it was essentially a very derivative kind of lord of the rings <laughs> spin-off essentially you know it was this epic state i mean it was you know it, it was a good story it, it, i still i still have it i still sort of go back to it occasionally but so it was ultimately and and at that point i thought well i want to be a fantasy writer uh -huh. um, and that just that changed over the years, I guess, um, because I because I started wanting to use fiction um, as a channel, I guess, for things in my real life. I I, I found that um, you know fantasy wasn't the genre for me to do that. Okay, um, I needed to explore that in other ways. So I started experimenting writing in 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 different genres. I I even you know, experimented with writing nonfiction at one point. And so, and, and I think it's just, it's all about, um, again, I come back to this idea of not closing yourself off and not being too structured and, and not just deciding, you know, I'm going to be a fantasy writer or I'm going to be a horror writer or I'm going to write nonfiction. You know, it's, it's a, even maybe not even sticking to one, one genre. You know, a lot of authors do that. You know, they'll write under a pseudonym and they'll write different genres or even under their own name and they'll explore different things. And I, so I think it's, yeah, it, it definitely has changed. Yeah, I think it's important. Yeah, I think, I think it's important to write. Well, first and foremost, you know, my feeling is you just be true to the story. The story, hmm. however it comes to you and how you develop it, it's, it, it is what the, the story is what the story is. Um, you can put a tag on it at the end of it, but, but while you're writing it, it does. It's, you're not writing 
because it's you know I, I can only speak for myself but i don't sit down and say i'm going to write a horror story it's, it's mm. you know it's over time you know characters come and stories come and, and whatever the story will be will be uh, and I, I think it's i like to think Absolutely. of writing almost like a music because there is a rhythm to it mm-hmm. uh, definitely most definitely yeah but but in the sense of you know myself as a hobby musician i love plugging in an electric guitar and turning all the uh, dials to 10 as you do (laughs) (laughs) so sorry neighbors but also but also i love sitting down with a nylon string and and plucking away some spanish or some classical Uh, Mm. so uh, and i think you know from a writing perspective i think why not try and explore different styles and uh different themes different i guess genres um absolutely the love of love of writing is absolutely and I think that's why, I, I guess, to to more of an extent than the interior people, my first novel, novel Fable, was um, has been a little bit difficult to classify as a genre. I've I've had it. Uh, I've heard to it referred to as a science fiction novel. I've also heard it referred to as a fantasy novel. I've heard it referred to as uh, a plain thriller. It's you know, it's it's gone. Uh, you know, it's it's had a bit of a spectrum of genres I guess and that that's because especially with that book I was um I let the story evolve as it needed to mm-hmm. and if you had to put a genre title to it what would you call fable oh I'd say look it's it's a supernatural thriller no I think that's a beautiful little description yeah, yeah and yeah. I think that nails it pretty much yeah I think with the interior people I've uh, my uh, the the illustrator that I worked with on that book probably said it best when she called it modern mythology of uh, modern oh, wow. mythology with a touch of fantasy that's what she called that and I, th- I had never thought of my writing in those terms before but I thought yeah you know what that actually that actually is pretty apt to 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 describe the interior people so and and when you were writing the interior people or at least you know close to finish it so you obviously got an artist and then images in that was that a conscious decision from the start or was that something that evolved no it wasn't actually planned from the start it was um I was drawn to the work of an of an Australian artist uh, named Megan Herring, who um, my partner Jess actually introduced me to Megan's work, and mm-hmm. um, I had a look at her character designs, and um, I was just I was blown away by how much they spoke to me about the characters that I was writing. I could see the characters that I, I could visualize the characters that I was writing in her style perfectly. And so that design, uh, that collaboration rather, came about um, reasonably late in the piece. I was almost done with the first draft of mm-hmm. the of the book when I when I approached Megan, who was thankfully available and very keen to do it. And um, yeah, that that came about pretty late in the process. Um, and her her designs are beautiful, and I just didn't want to really give her much in the way of direction. I didn't want to sit her down and say, "Look, this is exactly how I need the characters to look. This is how I need them posed," that sort of thing. I just basically let her read the book and then just go away and come up with some concepts, some initial concept uh, designs, which changed a bit throughout the process. But uh, uh, a couple of them didn't really change at all from. What, because she just uh, she really got the characters and really had this ability as an artist, which I think only really talented artists have, which is to not only be able to draw a character, but to be able to capture the mood of that character as well. 
which I think Megan was is very talented at doing and and did beautifully with these characters. I I'm just I'm blown away. I look into these characters' eyes and I can see the thoughts that I wrote for them in their heads. You know, it's it, it was amazing. Yeah, that that is a fantastic opportunity, isn't it, to have an artist uh, read your work and then you know, especially a talented artist, and then you can visually see, you know, the results of your story entering, you know, in this instance, her subconscious, and then having her portray those visions that your writing has given. Uh, and, and it's so lucky. And, and I've been lucky enough, I've got a really great artist here in South Australia that does work for me, and very similar. Uh, so from the sequel that I've got coming out, I've just recently had the cover uh, done. And I do the old very quick pen sketch on a scrap piece of paper, take a photo with my phone and send it to them say, oh, with one or two notes and that's yeah. it. And it comes back and it's, it's almost as though he's jumped into your brain. Yep. And it, it's such <laughs> a, it's a, it's just an amazing experience. And uh, I am jealous. I wish I could draw. I wish I could. Uh, be, you know, well, so do paint. I. It's but, one of those things. Like to be right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? And it's, and it's, it, it really is great. Um, collaborating I, I wasn't sure because i had never really collaborated on a project before um and it was just just wonderful to um to have that experience of you know have somebody else experience your your vision at that early stage and and to help you ultimately realize that vision at the end um it's just um it's really special i think it's a really special relationship that you have when you collaborate with somebody on something like this is it something you're going to do again do you think i i'd love to actually i i was um I mean, when I was writing Fable, I was exploring that initially as the idea of having that as being a graphic novel rather than not rather than a novel. Um, ultimately, it became a novel, obviously. But um, I would I would love to explore the the uh, the process of of writing a graphic novel at some point, and I would definitely yeah, I'd definitely love to collaborate with Megan or somebody else to you know to do that as well. But um, just just fantastic. Well, 2021, it's the year of the graphic novel for you then, I think. You have to, you have to do it. <laughs> well, I won't, won't make any promises. I'll stay open. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, that'd be great. Well, so speaking of the year ahead, uh, ha have you got something in the works at the moment or are you slowly preparing for a new book or are you looking to do a bit of marketing? What, what sort of plans do you have in relation to your writing? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, this year is going to be going to be pretty focused on pushing the interior people out. Mm -hmm. um, that was published in November 2020, and so so still brand new. Yeah, that's right. And so I'm I'm pretty pretty focused on on pushing that out. I've I've got another project s sort of slowly on the on the back burner um, at the moment. Uh, you know, always got something on the go, but um, the the inspiration for that comes sporadically. So <laughs> I'll work on that when I, when I, when I can. Um, so at the moment it's, yeah, it's, it's all about uh, the, the focus is on the interior people at the moment, really um, trying to, um, you know, overcome some of the challenges of being an independent author in terms of the marketing and promoting your work and, and try and uh, try and get it out there for as many people to read as, as possible, um, which is the ultimate aim. I think of, of any serious writer, you know, you, you want your, um, you want your books to go out there into the world and be be read and and hopefully enjoyed by other people. So that's what it's uh, that's what it's all about. Yeah, that's an absolute given. And for for other writers out there, authors, or even people thinking about writing and mm. writing their first book, what sort of lessons have you learned, and what approach do you take when it does come to marketing? Do you do a lot of it yourself? Do you employ other people um, as an independent author? What, what mm. sort of maybe tricks or hints and tips that you've discovered along the way? 
Uh, I'm still learning a lot about it myself, um, which is good. Word of mouth um, is, is something that um, you, you know, you need to rely on, but it only gets you so far. Um, I find, you know, get, getting out there myself and actually talking to bookstore owners myself and introducing myself has been a real, um, a real step for me to take um, because I'm pretty introverted person. I don't 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 essentially find that sort of interaction comfortable at, okay. at times. I wouldn't pick that. So, so it's um, yeah. So that so that's been uh, something that uh, has been initially. I was pretty skeptical about that about doing that. Um, but the response has been great. Um, Excellent. That, uh, the the support um, that I've received from from several several even even larger chain book bookstores um, when talking to them has been just just fantastic. They've been they've been pretty happy to to lend their support to to local authors. Um, you know, because I think uh, a lot of them probably understand the the challenges. Given that they work in that industry, they you know they understand the challenges that you know you, you have when you're an independent as opposed to a mainstream author in terms of getting your work out there. You know, and it, and it depends on on your budget as well. You know, that's yes, another course. thing that, that you really need to to take into account when you when you're an independent author. You know, you, you don't have you, you often won't have that uh, the resources that you'd like. Um, so it's about getting creative. Um, you know, and coming up with things like uh, I mean, I did for one of my books, I did a letterbox drop, where I just basically had flyers printed for my book. And I oh. just walked around and put them in letterboxes. Old school, and, uh, but I absolutely love it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, so just, um, I guess the advice or whatever would just, just be get, get creative. Don't fall for these things online, that these promises that, that pop up in your Facebook feed that say we, we'll, we'll guarantee to sell 10,000 copies of your book. You know, don't, don't fall for that, that stuff. No. Just, just, just get, get creative and talk to other independent authors. That, that's the other thing that, that I would say has been a great experience for me. It's, mm-hmm. it's get, get out there and interact with other authors because ultimately that they're, you know, they're, they're on your wavelength. They're, they're, they're in your, you know, they're in the trenches with you, so to speak. They're fighting yeah. the same battles that, that you are and they're going to have their own approaches and tips and tricks and they're going to basically clue you into certain strategies and and approaches that you might have never thought of and so it's it's about you know getting out there and being you know getting involved in the independent uh writing uh community and wherever you live and and even you know these days you know it's i say wherever you live but you can pretty much get involved with anyone in the world these days with with the internet so absolutely you know take advantage of that and just just reach out and join as many writers groups on on facebook and and in real life as well at libraries and and stuff like that we'll have writers groups get involved talk to other people and because ultimately nothing you know nothing really bad is going to come of that you know it's always going to be a positive experience even if it's not something that helps to sell any books it's going to be a positive experience to just get out there and hear what other people are going through as well you know to not feel you can feel very alone as an as an independent author, you know. Yeah, no, I, I agree hundred <laughs> percent. And 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 I do agree with the sense that there's no mastering the marketing side of things as an independent author. Like like you said, it's it's a constant learning curve. There's always something to learn. There's always mm. thinking outside the box. Always chatting with other people, learning some other tricks and tricks or you know different approaches to take. But I think you know traditional publishers fantastic as well. But I think one of the main differences. You know, with a traditional publishing company, they there'll be a window of opportunity where they'll market a particular title, mm. and but due to their business, very business nature, 
they'll reach a point where they'll have to fo- refocus their spotlight, so to say, on, on, on the next title. At some point, your book will, won't receive the same attention as the next new book. Uh, but I think with independent authors, they're always working. So, the, mm. the, you know, we, we've, we're always trying to push our work and, and we don't give up. And I think that's, the, that's really cool. Uh, there's no window of time that is going to sh- close on us because we can just keep going. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and it's not like after six months, then we have to switch over to a new title and then refocus the whole approach. It's like, no, we can just keep focusing on our own achievements, own goals and pushing forward. So yeah, that's yeah, right. that does come with its challenges, but it also comes with some fantastic rewards too. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yep. Now, in I've read a little bit in your bio and one of the things that, that your bio reveals is that you're a speechwriter as well as an author. Yep. So I'm just wondering, how does one fall into or, or get into a career as a speechwriter and how does that affect, how, how is approaching speechwriting different to, for example, when you, when you sit down to write uh, your fiction? Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, they're obviously very different uh, forms of writing. How, how you get into it, I mean, oh, God, I, I got into it almost by accident just when I was, I was working in a, in a, in a workplace and, and they needed somebody uh, who, could, who could write. And I didn't know what I was writing at that point. I just put my hand up and said, well, yes, I can, yeah, I can write. Oh, sure, I'll give it a go. That is and, cool. <laughs> and it just ended up being that I was um, writing. I, I ended up joining a, a, a media unit for a, for, for, a, for a politician. So it was writing things like media releases and, and speeches and that, and that sort of thing. And the, the, biggest, the biggest difference, I suppose, is that, is that you're writing, when you're writing your own work, you're writing in your voice, obviously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, when you're writing a speech, you're obviously, you've got to write in somebody else's voice. So it's about, you know, it's, you, you've got to learn how they speak and their turns of phrase and, okay. and, and what they want to say. Um, you know, ultimately when you write something for yourself, when I'm writing my books, it's what I want to say and it's in my voice and it's my, my inspiration and, and, and writing a speech is all about getting into somebody else's head, I suppose, and, and, and getting into their, their mindset and, and uh, writing in their voice. Do you think that's, um, do you think that's helped you when it comes to dialogue for characters? Oh, it definitely has. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that's a big thing. It, it, it definitely has. Um, yeah. It's, it's helped me to shape, I suppose, because when, when you do write speeches, you've got to be very conscious of how people speak and, you know, you, you've got to be very conscious of sentence length and, th- and that sort of thing, which you don't immediately think about all the time when you're writing dialogue for characters, you, you can have them run on sentences, run, you know, sentences run away and just be very long. And, and so it's helped me in dialogue of just being a speechwriter. You, you've got to understand how people speak and people need to take a breath when they are speaking and, and, and gather their thoughts. And, and so I've taken that into my characters. And I, I suppose The Interior People is a much more dialogue-heavy book than, okay. than Fable was. And, and I guess um, 
in certain ways, I guess being a speechwriter might have influenced that a little bit, just given that uh, I was, I was, I think I was better at writing dialogue. Not that I think that there's anything wrong with the dialogue in Fable, but I was a, a little bit better, more skilled at writing dialogue when it came to the interior people. So I think I just did it a little bit more. In that book. And it, it's definitely a make or break, you know, for characters from a reader's perspective, at least from when I'm reading a book. Mm. And, uh, it, and it's something I've, I'm always trying to increase my knowledge and ability when it comes to you know having a unique voice for each character and like you said being conscious of sentence structure of the rhythm each character might have uh, you know the little quirks but it's, it's it's definitely an art form and i i could imagine that being a speech writer would would definitely give you an edge to that yeah that's a, yeah it's been a been a big help and it's and it's fun right writing speeches is fun it's a it's a very different form of writing. It's it's how you you know how a novel differs from writing a screenplay. You know something else that's that's mm-hmm. very dialogue focused. You know it's it's uh, you've got to you don't have when you're giving a speech. You, there's no there's no subtext. You know the, for the reader to to get into. You've got to you've got to say you've got to be very succinct um, in in speech writing. And so I think that's also helped in my fiction writing to give a little bit of that, that iceberg principle of the, the 20% on the page and the 80% that's, that's the, the, that's subtext that's below, that's between the lines. Uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. I, I, th- I think it's helped a lot there too in, in just um, being able to get across, because what I try and do with my books, I, I, I write very fast paced books. My, my books are both very, very, very fast paced. And, and so I think it's about getting across just enough of what I need to say in the words that are on the page and letting, and hopefully if I've got that, the tip of the iceberg, right. If I've done my work as an author, right in that tip of the iceberg, the rest of the iceberg, the subtext, the between the lines is going to be there for the reader and they're going to be able to fill that in themselves. It, it can be very uh, tricky counter when you're writing because being the, being the author of the words, there's no real way of gauging how, these those sentences will affect a reader in the sense of there's no way of reading the sentence without knowing it already as it, that's right it. uh but so it, it is a, a tricky thing and i do like that analogy of the uh, the iceberg principle uh, mm. absolutely so when it comes to you said you write pretty fast paced or mm. fast paced prose what about when it comes to the editing side of things do you find that you know by consciously having a fast paced setting prose does that make editing a little bit easier because you've uh, it's, it's easier to just know what you've got to take out so for example you know any excess fats easy to just slice off or does it have an impact on the editing uh i think it, it does to a certain extent um editing is always going to be difficult um yeah. but i but a true I think, word spoken <laughs> especially self-editing i mean it's you know it's the the old thing of the analogy of you know you're killing your babies you know you don't want to get rid of stuff you love but i think you know in, in edit, editing is that like writing i actually write quite fast as well in terms of just my fingers on the keyboard um so writing i tend to go quite fast and then editing i'm able i i find i can take a little bit slower mm-hmm. because i feel like i've gotten i've got the words out of the, out there now um, I can I can look at it a little bit more objectively. Um, so I think I write fast and edit slow would be the would would be putting it simply hard or easier. I, I don't know if it makes it more more or less difficult. Either way, um, I think it's always going to be a challenge. But um, it's something I approach in a very measured way, and it's something I don't I don't rush the the editing. If 
if I've taken something out and I find ultimately it needs to go back in, well, then, it, you know, it'll go back in. You know, there's, there's, there's nothing hard and fast about it. Um, but it, it is more, I'm more inclined to apply that kind of iceberg notion while I'm editing rather than writing. Writing, I think you need to, you, you need to let your creativity run free. Um, it's, it's when I come to editing, it's when I think about, okay, I've got two sentences there. Could I possibly make that one? Could I get across what I need to say in one? Does the mm. second sentence, is the second sentence redundant? And you apply that to, to everything. Is the second paragraph redundant? Have I, have I got my message across in the first paragraph? Even if I've got a nice little flourish of, of, of prose in the second paragraph that I really love, it's, it's looking at it, at it objectively and trying to think, well, does it need to be there? Does it, or will the reader, does the reader have enough from, from the first paragraph? Can the second paragraph go? Yeah, that's a really good point, and and I am absolutely envious sometimes when I when I read. And for example, an author has the the ability to, in one paragraph, give so much information, maybe even cross, you know, ten twenty year period in in one paragraph. And like, oh, absolutely! Damn it! You know, <laughs> I've, I've read four sentences, and you've already, and and yet I find myself, you know, trying to do that. And obviously, it's a skill we. Mm. got to work on but yeah. it's definitely an art form and uh yeah it's definitely a fantastic approach that that iceberg well, principle that's it's interesting you should say that because that that is how i feel when i read anything by cormac mccarthy okay i i both love and hate cormac mccarthy <laughs> <laughs> because he does that you know he can get across in a single sentence what it might take me a whole a whole chapter yeah <laughs> you know it's just it's it's one of those things and it's it and it's a skill you can see in his writing that he's built as well you know, yeah, but I don't, but it's, it's yeah i don't think anyone of... just starts with that ability or <laughs> good luck to him if they do it'd be like writing a a, a symphony just picking up an instrument just bang writing a symphony uh, i'm sure someone's done it but i don't think it happens often <laughs> now when it, when it does come to writing i'm just curious do you have any good luck charms do you have any uh, approaches that you 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 know little quirks that you find gives you a bit of luck writing or is it just you just get down to the art of hitting the keys uh, i don't know i want to say alcohol but no <laughs> but no. <laughs> no that's that's just no no that i'm not serious there um <laughs> no, that's right. I've, I've, I've tried that didn't like what i wrote <laughs> it's, yeah you should uh you should never never write drunk or you can write drunk but never never let anybody else read what you've written while you're yeah. or don't let them know and you have to keep <laughs> writing drunk to keep the consistency uh no I, I don't i don't think so um i think it's it's having the it's having the notepad ready to go i think at at any time um is the 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 good luck charm i suppose would just be the pen and the notepad because um you know you you might come up with an idea and think you're going to remember it and you never do and then you kick yourself later because you think that was such a great little idea i had but but now it's gone so i think it's just it's just jotting down you know it's i've got notepads and notepads just full of stuff that i've just jotted down and it might be a chapter or it might be just a single line of dialogue or it, it might be just a, even even just a, a reference to a reference I've read somewhere in another novel that I'll, I'll just jot down and 
and and just sort of having that ready to go and and I think just just opening that every once in a while and and having a look back through that is um is the is the biggest thing for me. I think I just get down to it ultimately. Yeah. Um, it's, as I think I mentioned earlier with the the interior people, I, I I woke up late one night and I just jotted down the first chapter of that book. Um, and I at that point I didn't know what it was. I didn't know where it was going. I didn't even know if I would take it any further than that. Um, and that first chapter, incidentally, hasn't really changed much. Oh, that's fair. In, in the in the whole process. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's just 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 the note the notebook I think is my friend. You know, it's yeah. it's pretty much never I pretty much never go anywhere without it. I tried for a, for a very limited time to try and capture the same sort of thing just using the notepad on my phone or something. But no, don't do that. You've got to. It's the tactile thing of actually writing it down with a pen and paper. Yeah, I'm in your camp 100. percent I yeah. think once or twice I've tried to tapping a note on the notes in the phone and mm. it's just ridiculous um, but yeah I've got scribbles and all sorts but the irony is like you said sometimes you get these fantastic ideas and in Murphy's Law you'll never remember them yeah but it, it's just it's it's amazing how you can remember that you had an idea but you can't remember the idea but then if I write it down I remember it without think without any effort it's a, such a strange thing. So if I write something, unless it's yep. like a, a particular sentence or, or mm, you know, yep. word, <laughs> word thing, but you know, as soon as I write down that idea, then if I wake up the next morning, it's it's just cemented to my brain. Mm. If I don't write it down, I can, I'll never remember it. So it's a catch twenty two. So yep. yes, the, I've got plenty of pages there that I probably never look back on because just the act of writing seems to, uh, well, for me at least, seems to cement it in. But it's definitely a a good tool, the old pen and paper. You just can't beat it. It doesn't run out of electricity unless (laughs) unless it catches fire and it's going to be just fine. (laughs) Well, Thomas, thank you so much for chatting with me today. And for all our listeners out there, the, the two books that you're just going to have to check out are Fable and The Interior People. Now, can you perhaps tell our listeners where they can find more information about you, if you've got a Facebook or website, whether you'll be doing any uh, book book readings or... Yeah, certainly. So firstly, thanks for having me. Oh, pleasure. Uh, it's been a fantastic experience. Uh, it's been really good to chat with you and um, really good. Uh, what, you, what you're doing is, is really fantastic for, for authors like myself. It's um, really great. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you. Let's hope we can make it bigger and better this year, definitely. Yeah. Um, so my, my books are available through, through vividpublishing.com.au. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the publisher, just vividpublishing.com.au slash fable or slash the interior people. Um, and people can also connect with me on Facebook at Thomas Heffernan author is my, uh, my Facebook author page. I'm not a big social media person, so I'm, I'm not really active on Instagram or any of those things yet. That's something I'm sort of exploring, you know, dipping my toes in the water with. I've never been a big tech tech person. So at, at the moment, I'm just on Facebook and um, and through the website of my publisher, obviously. People no. can't, uh, well, we'll definitely put some links uh, for, for those two sites you mentioned as yeah, part of the note, for notes for the podcast. And now I did have a real quick look at your Facebook and I noticed, uh, I'm guessing you've got a uh, bit of affection for the writing of uh, Mr. Hunter S. Thompson. Ah uh, yes, that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and when did you in, start, begin to enjoy his? Now, do I say writing? He's ranting. He's <laughs> raving. I'm not <laughs> sure a which bit one. Of, bit of bit of all of the above, really. Um, I think I I came to Hunter S. Thompson the way a lot of people do, which is obviously through Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. 
Um, that was one of those books that I just read when I was in high school. Um, and but then I discovered that uh, you know that people he's he's really pegged as the, the drugged out writer who wrote wrote Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. But what I love about Hunter S. Thompson is he was actually one of the most um, astute political commentators the Absolutely. US has ever seen. And so I dug into now I've I, I've I don't think I've picked up Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas in probably twenty years. Um, I, I've read, I've, but I've devoured all of his other stuff. All his, he wrote for Rolling Stone for a long time. He wrote for various other publications and newspapers, and he was actually primarily a sports journalist. Is, yeah, is, that, that's the irony, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a lot of his, and it's just brilliant. His observations and just the fact that he could get behind the scenes with these, you know, like with people like Richard Nixon. You know, he could get behind the scenes and just talk football with with Richard Nixon, and that's how he wrote a whole article, a whole whole book about you know his experiences on the campaign trail of of Richard Nixon. So, yeah, he's he's just just a brilliant and very funny, very funny guy, and really, you know, he's pegged as this drugged out lunatic who just just like to drive fast and and take drugs and stuff like that. But he was really a very um, very loving, warm guy, and uh, just very funny, and and like I said, very astute politically as well. So just being interested, being a speechwriter as, as as I am, you know, with an interest in politics, I I just immediately gravitated towards the towards his style of writing because he takes the a lot of the the bullshit, if I could, uh, if you pardon my language, that's involved in politics, <laughs> and ahead, just man- yeah. manages to uh, to carve through that and 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 tell the truth and, and just be very honest. And that's something you don't see a lot in political writing, even the best political journalists. So that's that's what I love about his writing. Yeah, he definitely didn't have much of a fear of of offending anybody, and, no, and that's right. not not that he was going out of his way to offend anybody, but it was yeah. a case of you know talk the truth and be damned if you don't like it. So that's yeah. too bad. <laughs> But I think, you know, when you said a lot of people just think he's uh, one of these drugged out writers, but I, I agree. I don't think that, I don't think that's a fair uh, assumption. And mm. to me, it's like, uh, do you know, uh, Christopher Hitchens, you know, is I think Christopher Hitchens and Hunter Thompson, although vastly different in, mm. in their approaches, but they're yep. both similar in the sense that they're so well read and comfortable in their, I guess, their area. Mm. that they just live and breathe it so you know yep. with Hitchens is, is more the social philosophy and religion but and Thompson with the politics and the sport but they're both just cut straight to the truth and you can just tell like there's no trying to catch them out because yeah, whatever the subject there's a good chance they know a lot more about it than you do <laughs> that's right and yeah. and, and I got nothing to respect but respect for both of the, those gentlemen and their writings and, and their ability, their talks. Obviously, you can see a lot of Hunter S. Thompson on YouTube doing a lot of his talks. So Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, but anyway, no more Miss Thompson stuff. We're talking about Thomas Heffernan, so thank you once again. <laughs> and you. really do appreciate. And let's see if we're not uh, able to catch up again sometime this year and we'll find out how the interior people are going. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. And we'd love to hear if you, uh, when you're starting to work on a new book and whether it's going to be maybe even a graphic novel. Fantastic. Thanks, Darren. All the very best to you, sir. And we will talk again soon. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Darren. Bye. Okay, what a fabulous interview. And as you say, it went to some interesting and very deep places. So, 
you know, as well as books, we looked at grief and ghosts and marketing and speech writing and, uh, you know, listening to the muse, you know, that kind of half sleepy time when, you know, your characters are telling you what to do and you might think you're the writer, but really you're only the translator. So that, that was very interesting. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, and it's, that's, I mean, this is going to pop up time and time again, because it is just one of the purely, uh, so, so, you know, honest and magical aspects of writing. And that is when your characters come to life. Uh, so to anyone out there who hasn't embarked on a writing journey, but is planning to, uh, I, I, I'm envious because you still got that brand, you know, that, that amazing startling discovery to make. But then of course you've got un unlimited relationships to in enjoy as you move forward and continue to write forever and ever. Yes. Ever but and yeah. ever would be good. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, uh, it was fantastic talking with Thomas and I, I really do appreciate him taking the time to speak with me. And, and I hope our listeners out there really enjoyed some of the insights he's given to the inspirations for his work. And of course, by all means, please jump onto our mystery genres and have a, have a look or follow the show note links to discover what his two novels, Fable and The Interior People, are all about. I think if, if it, you've sound, if there's anything about what he's mentioned sounds intriguing i almost certain you're not going to have any regrets grabbing a copy of one of his books and delving into his worlds yeah and look how i guess courageous and creative of him to share you know the his vulnerability and in some of his life experiences and i think that the books that connect with us most or that we most connect with are the ones that reflect some of our own experiences so yeah Fantastic. Absolutely. And, and there's something, you know, so pure about honesty. And if you're, you know, if you've, if you've got the courage and honesty to open up or at least reveal these, you know, very personal, intimate details sometimes, then in writing, it's going to come through and really resonate. Absolutely. So talking about uh, words and resonating, I snuck in one of my quotes. Have you got a quote to share with us that you uh, can uh, yeah, just spit well, out for us? Well, it's funny because you did sneak an extra one in at the start, but the no. irony is I actually picked three quotes for today. <laughs> so I think karma, uh, karma came through and got me. <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, so I've got a couple of quotes, which yep. I, I look there, obviously centered around dark or dystopian themes but and the three I've picked is one is a little bit not humorous but um, a bit of a yeah reflection on how the future can be <laughs> maybe sometimes predicted uh, yeah but I'll start with uh, I guess I'm going to start with one that's going to flip a lot of what I talked about dystopian fiction on its head because mm -hmm. and this is probably more a exercise in discussing free will but the quote I have for to start things off is is it better for a man to have chosen evil than to have good opposed upon him and that's by anthony burgess or burgess uh from a clockwork orange which was mm. uh, a fantastic read which i first discovered when i was in year 12 uh, and now i remember my english teacher who was amazing a lady by the name of mrs pridham took me to the side and and gave me a copy from you know that the sort of tucked away shelves because apparently it's yes. been pulled from the curriculum um, yes i'm not surprised i i ended up walking out of the movie i saw it when i was in at university and i thought oh, i can't sit here and watch this it was just too violent and, and horrible and I left. Yeah, it's a bit, well, the movie's definitely confronting. The book's yeah. a little bit different. I mean, equally confronting, but uh, it's a unique literary piece. And look, I was probably, 
I think 17, turning 18 at the time, I'd read plenty of books. And yet that mm. one, uh, I was glad for the, someone had penciled in translations for the, the, a lot of the uh, made up words that were mm -hmm. used in the novel. But yes, is it better for a man to have chosen evil than to have good imposed upon him? It's really, uh, really interesting question. I'd, you know, where, quite, where do you fall? Which side of the line? I, I, I'd hazard to uh, have an assumption at this point. Um, I don't. I don't think it's good for anybody to choose evil uh, at all. Uh, but as you know, having good opposed upon him, I guess is ironically that to me when I read that quote, it feels as though having something opposed upon me is uh, tyrannical. So mm, therefore, mm. either to choose evil or to be a victim of evil. Mm. because to force somebody to be good is in effect i can't think of you know I, I don't think it's a very good thing to do because it's taking away freedom so yeah interesting one that's something probably uh definitely take a few cups of coffee to ponder that one um, yeah and i think it's got to depend on context that you know absolutely. it's the kind of thing where you know if it's a small evil is it all right or if it's a large evil is it not um or is it regardless you know and and people's definition of evil what is you know for one person evil the other person is that righteous yeah yeah and i think the undertone there is do you are there any limitations to what you know defending freedom basically mm. so to, mm. to be free are, are we are we ready to accept whatever consequences that comes including the ability to choose evil or if we want to live you know would we choose to abolish freedom if it meant abolishing evil mm. but then under whose control would we be under in that you know hypothetical scenario and we'd have to really hope that person didn't have any evil at all Brings or that all entity or but anyway brave new so world big brother stuff yes isn't it it's it, yeah very appropriate to the dystopian okay so i'm going to give you a slightly yes your one. turn <laughs> so this is this is one from marianne williamson so joy is what happens to us when we allow ourselves to recognize how good things really are yes simple but straight to the a very good point. Yes. It is so easy for humans to be negatively geared to everything that's going wrong, to the pessimistic side. And, you know, it's the old, you know, flight and fright. And, you know, people talk about amygdala hijacks and all those kind of things. Although there is some science suggesting that that's not quite right anymore. But we always tend to veer to the dark side. And if you let yourself recognize how good things really are, and, you know, even for practicing gratitude uh, and thinking, you know what, that cup of coffee that I had this morning was really good. Except I'm a tea drinker. I'm saying yeah. coffee to, you know, there's lots of people, coffee drinkers out there. I know you said you had your cup of coffee this morning and it got you started. And it's knowing that I'm going to have a chat with you and we're going to talk about things and, considering that the podcast is going out you know looking outside and remembering the beautiful white cockatoos on the green tree in the blue sky that i saw this morning you know not thinking about the housework or the bills or the editing that i haven't done this <laughs> afternoon but it's you know if you start to pick up those things then it brings the balance and it brings the hope punk as opposed to the dystopia so there's my quote Excellent. No, I do love that. I interpret it as, you know, in, in one respect, just be in the moment because, yeah. you know, you, the past, yes, absolutely. There's time and place to, you know, traverse those rivers back in time and, and maybe, you know, joyful memories, sad memories, difficult memories, uh, unresolved issues, all those sorts of things, but they, they don't have to be, they don't have to have real estate of your 
state of mind 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Absolutely. So sometimes, you know, if you're standing there waiting for the kettle to boil or waiting for the coffee machine to do its thing, it's not very difficult to just stop for a second and go, I'm standing, you know, in pure safety, waiting for my delicious coffee to be made, for example. You know, I'm not, I'm not standing in rubble wondering where my family is or what's left of my family or anything so but little things not even not even putting it in perspective i think really just being in the like for example i always get anxiety reading the news and just go oh my god the world is going insane um <laughs> but then you know my little riding buddy or not little literally little bit overweight riding buddy, Your little Bobby. furry riding buddy yeah. that. <laughs> um he he has a good way of reminding me to do exactly uh that quote you know he, he refused to stay outside by himself because he wants me to come out and he wants me to go <laughs> one by one to every single chili plant and have a look and let him so he'll sniff it and i'll touch the leaf that simple moment is is you know it forces me to go hang on Ah, let's just have a look at these chilies or let's have a look at plants, sun shining, the lawn's green, you know, Bobby's purring. It's just a moment in time where there's joy. Yeah. And if, if there is a hammer coming down and it's coming down slowly and, and we don't know when it's going to hit, why worry about it? Might as well find as much joy as you can because if the hammer's going to hit, the hammer's going to hit anyway. Mm. Um, at, least, at least give, ironically, at least give, at least give the hammer some purpose in the sense of when it hits, it gives you a split instance to... In, to summarise all those joys that you experienced mm. uh, rather mm. than sit there shaking, staring at the hammer. <laughs> <Just Yeah. coming. laughs> so, yes, have joy. Very I like good. joy. Yes. All right. All right. Give us your last one. Uh, I've got two more. Oh, uh, three. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but then, no, this one's a bit of a, not a fun one, but it is a fun one. It's by uh, author Philip K. Dick, who, um, you know, look, yes. a very, yeah, very unique writer. But he did say something, a quote, this quote, that is very interesting, very timely today. And that is, uh, there will come a time when it isn't, they're spying on me through my phone anymore. Eventually, it will be, my phone is spying on me. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, okay. no true words spoken yep. Uh, yep. I, I, when I talk to people I use the example that uh, at one point I was paranoid now I don't care anymore but I would even switch my data off mm-hmm. on my mobile unless I needed to do anything on the internet or anything and we went shopping for of, uh, well we went shopping and, and for some reason we decided we'll stop and get a new quilt just for ran, random reason and we bumped into somebody who was a really good quilt salesman who who chatted to us for about half an hour gave us the insights of all the different quilts and we finally bought one came home turned my phone back on or it connects to, to wi-fi of course when as soon as you get near the uh, house and mm. for the next week or two there was nothing but quilts and pillows advertising on everything i did mm. and i went there you go so i know nobody's listening out there as far as you know government departments because i i'd hate to think how many people would lose their mind listening to you know 30 minute conversation about quilts and three hour conversations about the best cat litter, but there's definitely algorithms, but yeah, it's interesting. Oh, uh, this yes. is the gentleman who brought us Blade Runner, obviously, or uh, yes. do Android electric Android dream and sheep. So. Android's dream of electric sheep. I love electric that sheep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, I thought that was interesting. And my, my final Actually, quote, I think the man oh. in the high castle is, is his as well. Um, I don't know that I read that, but I think the, 
He, I think he's pretty sure about that, didn't he? The man in the high castle. I'm not too sure. As far as movie renditions go, I know that yeah. uh, yeah, what's the Schwarzenegger blood. one where they go to Mars for the holiday? Total Recall. Oh, Total course. Recall. Yeah. yeah. And that yeah, was yeah. about, you know, uh, wholesale holidays or something along yes. those lines. Yeah. yeah. But I'll, uh, my final quote is yes. something that uh, I hope will give us inspiration and the opportunity for redemption and a little bit of hope punk. Okay. No matter what happens moving forward. <laughs> um, and this is, uh, look, we'll go from the most obvious, and that's George Orwell uh, and from his uh, book 1984, and that is, there was truth and there was untruth. And if you clung to the truth, even against the whole world, you were not mad. And I like that. So mm. I prefer to be not mad. Yeah. So. <laughs> So I hope everyone can stay not mad and then we can, that way we, we, we can fight for the truth no matter what. Yes. Which is pretty tricky in this internet age uh, because how do you even, how do you even determine what's truth anymore? Yes. Uh, but that's for another day. So, yes, fun. But I, I think out of all those quotes, I like yours the best for, regarding uh, taking a moment to enjoy joy. Yeah, very good. So I'm going to apply <laughs> that today and, and look for those moments, definitely. Excellent. And, uh, and hopefully our listeners out there will uh, hit stop or stop streaming and pop the headphones down at some point and hopefully they've got a moment or two to find something, uh, something you know, there's something around that they can find a little bit of joy in. Yeah, go out and smell the roses, look at the clouds, or... watch the sky change. <laughs> or download a really cool book by an Australian author uh, and, and yes. ignite your imagination and find joy in the world building of uh, our great Aussie writers. Yes. And if you want to know where they are, you need to go to www.australianbooklovers.com and browse your way through the genres that you like or just go from go to woe. Don't forget to jump in and uh, even if you're not a romance reader, you might know somebody who is a romance reader and you could give them the book. So join our romance competition and keep your ears out for Romancing Australia, our romance writers panel. And, and you can also find us uh, on Twitter at Australian Books, on Facebook and Instagram at Australian Book Lovers, and you'll see lots of Bobby there giving his book of the day. I think he's getting a, a very good workout, isn't he, Darren? Yeah, it's just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's enjoying it definitely. <laughs> Finally, he's about, he's pulling his weight a little when it comes to <laughs> doing the work around here. <laughs> yeah, very good. No, very but, good. But definitely, uh, look, we, we've obviously touched on some um, heavy and uh, interesting themes today. But our very next podcast is going to be the very special panel edition and it's going to be a complete turnaround where we're going to talk about all things romance as you said veronica so definitely join us there there's going to be lots of fun lots of laughter maybe talk about our first kiss maybe talk about you know uh, what romance means to you me so many cool (laughs) things so definitely a uh about face and something a little little bit more sunny and might i say a little bit more joy well Uh, absolutely yeah people don't usually read romance to um you know dive into the the dark side of life so, yeah, there's no nihilism in romance, although there is romance in, in almost every genre, as that quote was, you know, yes, love and, and heart, books. And heartbreak, <laughs> especially our first heartbreak, can take us to some, yeah, very uh, soul-searching places, yeah. I think, and that applies to everyone, I would, I would think. Unless, of course, you've never had your heart broken and you've been in love all this time, in which case, fantastic. 
Yes. Um, but nonetheless, I believe it's time, Veronica, to say goodbye to our awesome listeners and have a good crack at our tagline. Indeed. All right. So episode six, I think this one's going to be at least a seven out of ten. <laughs> okay, let's give it a shot. Okay, so how about I'll count in and you start it and then we'll do it. Right. That's, that's, see, it's already starting to sound like muse talk where you go, how about you do the da-da and then I'll come in and go dun-dun-dun. Anyway, so one, two, three, four. And remember to read, read more Aussie, Aussie books. books. Yay. I think that's pretty Definitely good. seven. At least a seven. We'll go with a seven for today. Yeah. Uh, we need room for improvement because, you know, we don't want to kick, kick a 10 out of the park straight away. Oh, we don't pick away. too early, you think, yet? Yeah, no, no, okay. no way. Take care, everybody. We'll see All you at right. the next episode. Bye for now. Claire Roden's The Stars in the Night brought up many bittersweet memories for me, spending some time in the mind of the main character Harry and experiencing the roller coaster of a young man at war and a grandfather remembering his past has brought poignant memories of my own grandfather to mind. This is a beautifully crafted story of love and loyalty, friendship, loss and grief. The plot switches effortlessly between the now and the then, capturing the raw brutality of battle and the strange pauses in between. It shares the changes in attitudes to war and social standing, faith and gender. Roden has masterfully described decades-long grief the impact on those closest and the whole that changes a person forever and never leaves them. This is a wonderful, immersive story and well worth your time to read. I highly recommend it. Let's meet again. When magic happens. Australian Book Lovers acknowledges First Nations peoples and recognises their continuous connection to country, community and to culture. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and honour the sharing of traditional stories passed down through generations. We're committed to a safe and inclusive welcome for authors and readers of all cultures and backgrounds including people of LGBTQIA plus communities and their families.